when we read the Bible, sometimes we can miss what words mean. Perhaps our translation doesn't do the word fully justice. And that's why reading our Bibles is so important, isn't it? Because the more we read, the more familiar we get with the language, the more links we make, especially between Old Testament and New Testament. If you have a Bible today, um, I'd like to turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. So for those who don't know, this is the um, letter to the Colossians, the church in Colossae, written by Paul. And Paul was um, a man who started many churches, many of the early churches, and he wrote numerous letters to support and challenge and encourage churches in the early, in the early days. And this one he wrote to the church in Colossae, which would now be in modern-day Turkey. So I'm going to look at chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It should be up behind me. And it says... For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we're looking today at peace before God, or peace with God. But what do we mean by that word peace? I don't know about you, but when I hear the word peace, I've first thing I think of, the absence of conflicts, the absence of fighting or war between nations or neighbors, friends sometimes. Sometimes we think about peace being inner peace, that feeling you get, the feeling of tranquility or calmness, usually the absence of worry or anxiety. Sometimes we think of peace and quiet, the absence of noise and distraction, and I'm sure parents amongst, amongst us here today can relate to that one. In some cultures, peace is a greeting, something you'd say when you meet someone. When I was growing up, I went to a Methodist church with my family, and whenever we had communion like we did today, we would share the peace. Some of you might be familiar with that. And that involved going to every single person in the church, shaking their hands and say, peace be with you, and peace be with you, and peace be with you, etc. And it sometimes took quite a while. Peace in the Bible is all these things, but actually it's so much more. I'd like to start today at looking at the deeper meaning of the word peace in the Bible, because our English word for peace doesn't fully do justice to the richness that the biblical word carries. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, which some of you may have heard of. I'd like to start by looking at the word shalom in the Bible to help us understand what Paul meant by peace with God. So we see the word shalom in the Old Testament hundreds of times, and usually it's translated as the word peace. But other times, there are other words, other English words that we see that actually mean shalom as well. And sometimes we can miss those. So I want to look at some of those first to help us understand what peace with God means. So the biblical meaning of shalom. I want to start by looking at the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, it tells us about offerings that the people were required to make to God, like a burnt offering or a sin offering. There was also a peace offering. And each offering was, was given for a different reason, sometimes in response to what the person had done. So if they'd done something wrong, they would have to bring a certain offering. But the peace offering, or the shalom offering, was slightly different. It was something that someone could choose to bring, a, a thanksgiving offering or a free will offering. And it was to get fellowship with God. Think of it like a meal between friends. So straight out, we can see that shalom in the Bible is about fellowship with God. It's far more positive than just the absence of something. What's also important to note is these sacrifices, the people were required to offer an animal that was absolutely perfect. It says without spot, without blemish. Usually a lamb or an animal like that. 
So it's worth remembering that that sacrifice had to be absolutely perfect to be acceptable. And we'll come back to that later. In Joshua 8, we see Joshua was building an altar to God to offer one of these burnt offerings and a peace offering. And he had to follow the instructions about how to make the altar. And it says in Joshua 8, 31, he had to use uncut or whole stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And whole is one of the meanings of shalom, wholeness. So these shalom stones actually meant that they were completely whole already. They weren't cut to shape. They were found already perfect. They were undamaged, no chips, no cracks. So we can see here that shalom means wholeness. In a similar way, shalom also means completeness. The idea that everything is where it should be. Everything is working together. Think of, think of a complex object or a complex group of things, all in the right place. An example is in Job 5, 24. It says that Job's tent was at peace. Nothing was missing. So shalom is not just the absence of conflict. It's about wholeness. It's about completeness. And when I think of completeness, it reminds me of doing puzzles with my grandma. My grandma would always have a puzzle on the go whenever I went to visit her, and I would love joining in with her. And there's something satisfying about puzzles, isn't there? When you put each piece in the right place, especially when you get to that last one, and it's complete. Spare a thought for this lady out in Brazil. She attempted to do the world's biggest puzzle, 40,320 pieces. Only to discover, can you guess? Yep, next slide. One piece was missing. That would be frustrating, wouldn't it? It doesn't matter how many pieces were in place, just one gone, and it's incomplete, isn't it? So you can see how peace can mean to be complete. See, life can be like that too. It doesn't, when life is, feels like it's all as it should be, when everything in life seems to be just in the right place, just going as it should be, it's easy to feel peace, isn't it? But the reality is it doesn't take much to spoil our peace. Just one area of our life out of place can spoil the whole of our peace, whether it's to do with family or friends, work, money, health. Just something breaking in your house can rob us from our peace, can't it? When something's lacking, it's understandable that we struggle to find peace. Before I was a Christian, that's, that's how I felt too. As I said, I grew up in a, in a church with my family, I went every week, um, and when I got to a teenage, when I became a teenager, my, I got to the age when my parents said, you can choose whether you go anymore or not, so I choose not to. I knew the Bible stories, I knew how to behave in church, it was all very familiar, it was all very comfortable, but I was lacking something, I wasn't complete, I didn't have that relationship with God, I didn't have my own faith, so I didn't see why I needed to be there. I wouldn't say I went off the rails, but the simple truth is I was living for myself, doing whatever I wanted to do, much like all my friends around me. But I remember vividly a time, I can picture now exactly where I was sitting, and I felt a sudden sense of emptiness, a sudden sense that I wasn't complete, I was lacking. No one had challenged me on it. It's just something I know now was the Holy Spirit. And I also knew at the time that the answers I was looking for would be at church. So I started going to church again, I went on an Alpha course, and suddenly I understood the gospel. I suddenly realized that Jesus had really died for me, and everything suddenly made sense, and I found a completeness that only God could give me, and I found my own faith. 
So shalom, we can see, means wholeness, it means completeness, and it's about fellowship. Shalom is also about well-being. An example would be when David was sent to see his, his brothers in the fields or in the battlefield, the famous battle where David would then fight Goliath. And shalom there means, to be, means well-being. So David was sent to find out about his brothers, shalom, were they well? And about you, but again, wellness is something that we all want, isn't it? Whether it's physical well-being or our mental well-being, our spiritual well-being, our emotional well-being, it's easy to see how having well-being can bring peace. Shalom also means to restore. In Exodus, there were numerous laws that said that if a person stole or damaged someone's property, they were required to give shalom, to repay or restore what was broken. And in the same way, relationships that are broken need fixing too. And we call this reconciliation. To have peace with others is about a positive relationship, isn't it? It's about working together, living in harmony rather than living in conflict. Um, if you don't know, I'm a primary school teacher. And as a teacher and as a parent, I see children falling out all the time. And if you've ever had to try and reconcile two young people who are a little bit angry with each other, it can take a while. You can make them make up. You can make them say sorry, even sometimes through gritted teeth. But it's not till you see them playing together or working together you realize they really have reconciled. Dare I mention the rugby yesterday? Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, it wasn't, it wasn't the result most of us had hoped for. <laughs> if you didn't see it, it was the World Cup final yesterday, England versus South Africa. And what I was found really interesting in watching the coverage was the focus on the South African captain, uh, is it Sia Khaleesi? Is that the correct pronunciation? Good. And if you don't know, he's the first black captain of the South African team. And there was a lot of focus on, the, on him during the coverage. And seeing an interview with him afterwards, he was saying how much he hoped to see unity in his country as a result of this, this victory. Because reconciliation and working together is such an important desire, isn't it? It's such an important thing to see. So in recap so far, biblical peace is not just the absence of conflict. It's not just about feeling, uh, feeling calm. It's about wholeness, completeness. It's about well-being. It's about restoration. It's about reconciliation. And that's what, pe what Paul is talking about in the, in the verse from Colossians. So let's look at that again. He said, In Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul shows us that this peace with God is only available through Jesus, through his death and resurrection on the cross. So let's look at how. The first part of the verse says, In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When Paul says the fullness of God, he means that Jesus really was fully God. He's stating that everything that God is, everything that God was, can be found in Jesus too. For example, his wisdom, his power, his glory, and his peace. Interestingly, peace is one of the names of God. In the story of Gideon, if you don't know it, he was uh, hiding in fear of his life from his enemies, and God met with him and gave him courage. And Gideon responds by declaring a name of God. He calls him Yahweh Shalom, God is peace. And that's important to remember because peace isn't something that God just gives. It's not something that God just makes. It's something that God, that, that God is. God is peace. And that's why he's able to give it. And so we see that in Jesus too. 
Is it too early to mention Christmas? Maybe, maybe for some. But I'd like to look at a passage which we traditionally read at Christmas from Isaiah 9. It will come up behind me. And this is from Isaiah 9. And this says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. We read this at Christmas because this is a prophecy that Isaiah made about Jesus, about a future savior, savior who would bring peace. Jesus was that child who would be fully God. He was described as the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. And this Prince of Peace will bring a kingdom of peace. This means a kingdom where everything is restored, where everyone is reconciled, where there is wholeness, where there is completeness. And this peace will never end. Staying with the Christmas theme, we see in Luke 2, the moment the angels announced Jesus' birth to the shepherds. Picture the scene at night, the shepherds are watching their flocks, as the song goes, and when the sky suddenly is filled with the angels, and the angels declare, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is, blessed, who, with whom he is pleased. What are the angels announcing? Peace on earth. They're not just announcing this sense of calm and tranquility. They're announcing that Prince of Peace has now come. That Kingdom of Peace has now come. And that's through Jesus. I was listening to a podcast the other day from uh, John Piper, who is an American pastor, written many books on Christianity. And he says that this verse is, shows the very purpose of God being born as a human. We call that the incarnation. He says the purpose is glory to God, and peace on earth. God gets all the glory, and we get never-ending peace. I'll say that again. The purpose of Jesus coming to earth is that God gets the glory, and we get never-ending peace. Amen? It's amazing. In the next part of the verse, Paul says that Jesus came to reconcile himself reconcile to himself all things. See, we see in the life of Jesus how he brings that peace to people, how he brings the kingdom of peace. The accounts of Jesus' life that we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are littered with stories where Jesus met with people. We see so many stories of miracles, including healings. These encounters with Jesus changed people's lives, didn't they? Completely. He restored them. He brought well-being. He reconciled them to himself. Look at what he says to a woman who was healed from bleeding after 12 years. If you don't know the story, she had, she was, she had bled for 12 years, and yet she came up to Jesus and touched him and was healed instantly. And what does Jesus say to her? Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So reconciliation that Paul talks about is friendship, isn't it? Restoring relationships. We can see this in Paul's life. If you don't know, before uh, Paul became a Christian himself, he was passionately and violently against Christians. He would go out of his way to find them and persecute them. He was in conflict with others and therefore in conflict with God. But Jesus intervenes, doesn't he, and meets with him. And Jesus could have just stopped Paul in his tracks and said, nope, you're not doing that anymore. But Jesus went further, as Jesus always does. He forgave him. He gave him peace. He brought him into a friendship, into a relationship of friendship. 
That's reconciliation. Think about what Jesus did with his disciples. On the night that he was arrested, most of his disciples, they fled. They let him down. They ran off. Peter completely denied even knowing him. And then in John 20, verse 19, we see Jesus came to his disciples after he was resurrected. He met them in a room. And what's the first thing he says to them? Peace be with you. And then it says in that verse, he showed them his hands and his side. He's reminding them of what he did for them to bring them peace, to bring them back into reconciliation. Remember I said earlier about the peace offering that was given to God, that perfect lamb that was needed. Well, because Jesus was fully God, he was perfect and without sin, and he gave himself up on the cross for us. So Jesus is our perfect peace offering to restore our relationship with God. Think about that for a moment. God, the God of peace, who came as the Prince of Peace, became our offering of peace to bring us peace. Isn't that amazing? There's so many examples of how Jesus was the peace that we needed. Jesus' death and resurrection reconciled us to God by restoring our broken relationships, bringing wholeness, bringing wellness. And we're not in conflict with them anymore. Amen? Isn't that amazing? And more than that, we are now friends of God. And this is a gift that we receive through grace. We've been looking at grace for a number of weeks here, haven't we, as a church? been reminded that God gives us what we don't deserve. And Tom reminded us last week, I don't know if you remember, the empty slide to show us what we contribute to our salvation. Absolutely nothing. Jesus has done it all. But this piece goes further still. When Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, he was actually in prison. So when he writes about having peace, he's not just throwing out this statement with disregard for the cares of life and the worries that we have. He knew full well how hard life can be. And yet he was still able to teach the early church about peace. I'm just going to read you a section from 2 Corinthians 11. It's not going to be on the slides. It's quite long. But this is when Paul describes to the church some of the things he's gone through. I'll read it to you. He says, Far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger of rivers, danger of robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all other things, there is a daily pressure on me of anxiety for all my churches. That doesn't sound peaceful, does it? And yet, he was able to declare he had peace with God. Another time we see he was locked in prison, which wouldn't have been, a good, wouldn't have been pleasant in Roman times. And yet, we find him singing songs to God. He knew he had peace with God, and that flowed into every part of his life. You see, peace is the foundation of all peace in our lives. Peace with ourselves, peace with others, peace through difficult times. And we're going to be looking at those over the next few weeks here at church. And I know this to be true in my own life. If I look back, there are times when I have not felt peace. I can think back at times financially where we weren't sure we'd better eat that month. That was hard to be peaceful then. I can think back at times when I was working where the stress of work made me physically unwell, mentally unwell. I think about times where I've let sin get the better of me, and that's robbed me of peace. 
And yet, I've learnt, and I'm still learning, that when we bring it to God, he brings peace. When we bring our situations to God, he doesn't always change them overnight, but he can. But what he does do is bring peace that we can stand in those situations. And it starts from knowing that peace, wholeness, completeness, well-being, restoration, reconciliation, it can only come from God and then allowing it to empower us in the lives of those around us. Another thing to think about with peace, which I find interesting, is it's objective and subjective. What do I mean by that? If something's objective, it's a fact. It's true. It can't be argued. Whereas something that's subjective is a feeling. It's, a, it's often an opinion. And, and peace is both those things. Let me give another example. Georgie and her mum are huge athletics fans. And I've lost count of the amount of times I've heard them talk about the importance of a stopwatch and a tape measure. Because they like the events that can be measured. When you see a running race, the one who won is the one who was there first. When you see a throwing event, the one who threw it the furthest, they won. You can't argue with the result. It's finished. It's, 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 it's there. Whereas you compare that to, say, a dance competition, a singing competition, uh, a book award, a music award. It's not so clear-cut, is it? You might like one better than someone else. You might dispute the result. See, peace is both objective and subjective because, actually, our peace with God is a fact. If you are a believer here today, if you've put your trust in Christ, you have peace with God. End of story. And out of that objective peace, we can then experience the peace of God in our lives. I'd like to welcome the band back up before I finish. The last thing I'd like to share was an invitation, really. If you are here today and you don't yet call yourself a Christian, this peace is available to you. It's available to you today. In a moment, we'll have a group of people at the front who will be happy to pray with you and to lead you through a prayer. And that prayer is a declaration that the rest of us have made ourselves, which says that we know we can't restore our relationship with God ourselves. But in faith, we trust that Jesus came to the cross for us, that Jesus died in our place to restore our relationship with God and bring us peace. So if you are here today and you are not yet a Christian, you can be, and that peace is for you as well. We'd love to pray with you at the end. And for the rest of us, if we are believers, I want to encourage you to take hold of this truth again. While I was preparing, I really got a sense from God that there are many of us here today who perhaps have forgotten this truth, that we have peace with God, or have let the cares of the world rob us of peace. Whether it's worries about situations in your life, or whether it's sin that's got in the way. If there is anything you want prayer for today, please come to the front, and we'd love to pray for you, that you would know that peace again. And also, uh, Tom had a, um, a word earlier in the prayer meeting about God being the one who would heal the brokenhearted. If that's you today, again, we'd love to pray with you that you would know that peace and that wholeness again with God. And Chris and Tom also had that word earlier about throwing off the weights that carry us, that weigh us down. If that's you today, if you're feeling weighed down and lacking peace, peace can be yours again today. So I'd encourage you today, please, if you want prayer, please come forward while we're singing our last song.